VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, August the 2nd. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is producing the program. Big thanks to Tim Powers for sitting in for me yesterday. I guess we are now part of the National Stat Holiday Program with Stingray, so I was off yesterday. But on a program note, we will indeed, for the first time since I've been in the chair, uh, be hosting a regatta show. So Open Line as usual tomorrow. Just put that in your memory bank if you're unable to call tomorrow and like to join us tomorrow so coming off a pretty super hot july and of course made for some fire uh, for some forest fires pardon me there's five active forest fires in the province at this moment in time we're told no structures cabins homes have been destroyed or damaged as of yet that's the good news some of the cabin owners around paradise lake in a precautionary evacuation they got out of there just in case the winds picked up turned direction and of course those fires can move pretty rapidly when the weather pushes them the way it sometimes do all right so townies <laughs> they'll some will be playing some regatta roulette tonight it looks like the regatta the royal st john's regatta is going to take place tomorrow little bit of overcast little bit of wind possible little bit of rain so by all accounts knowing how the committee has proceeded in years past as long as the conditions are conducive to the rowing races it goes ahead i get it because for the committee, it's by and large about the rowing. You wonder where you factor in what kind of day it will be to encourage more and more people to come down Lakeside in an effort to support the concessions that will now be back, first time since 2019, around the shores of Kitty Vitty Lake. But it looks like if you're playing roulette tonight, put it all on red or black or white. What's the colors on the roulette table again? Red and black? Yeah, red and black. All right, so what do I got here? Uh, speaking of the regatta, I don't know. This is the annual conversation. I'm probably in the minority. Like, even in this office, they say the upside of working our stats in the way that they do on the national scene is you get a predictable long weekend. So I was off yesterday. That's cool. But there's something about the unique nature of a weather-dependent holiday. When you try to explain it to someone from outside the province or even outside the metro region, it's a real head-scratcher. And in many forms, it is kind of bizarre, but I do like the unique nature of that weather-dependent call by the Regretta Committee tomorrow morning, but you want to talk about it? We can do it. Uh, so good luck to all the all hands who are not out on the po water today for their last spin or poke. They're saving up their energy to go for it tomorrow. People are now familiar with the name Jada Lee. 16-year-old Jada Lee. Last year, she was pitching for the men's under-17 baseball team at the Atlantic in Dartmouth. She won the only, she pitched the only victory for the province in that particular tournament. And now a couple of other big accomplishments, smashing some barriers again in store for Jada Lee. So the upcoming Canada Summer Games in Niagara, coming up, I believe, it begins on the 6th of August. So good luck to everyone involved. The mission staff, the athletes, the coaches, the managers, the parents, their family, their friends, you know who should be a great experience. But Jada Lee has now been told she's going to be carrying the, the province's flag into the opening ceremonies. Fantastic. She's also set to become the first female to ever play on a men's team at the Canada Summer Games. Fantastic stuff. So she's been playing locally with her brothers for years. So this is nothing new to Jada. 
some of these or one of the secrets to her success, so she says, is that for many minor baseball players, they get to play in 20, maybe 25 games throughout the course of the summer. Playing on multiple teams, Jada gets to play in about 80 games. So yeah, getting the reps in is of course extremely important. She's looking forward to breaking into the national baseball program, going to play some university ball, guaranteed. So the story, I think, is really terrific. When you read down through it, and she talks about, you know, when you are a female on a men's team, there will be some curious eyeballs coming from the stands and maybe the opposing players. And right at the end of the article that I read, you know, it says, there's definitely a few parents who are like, is that a girl? But here's the quote for her, from her. But when I actually throw the ball, I don't know if I can say shut up, but they all shut up. <laughs> Apparently she's bringing the fastball, bringing the heat at around 80 kilometers an hour, which is a pretty stinging fastball. So good luck to Jade Lee. Fantastic stuff. Flag bear, first female to play on a men's team at the Canada Summer Games. Great stuff. All right. Congratulations to the Newfoundland Labrador under-19 women's ball hockey team. One of the measures when you grow up playing sports around here is how you're going to fare against the big provinces, notably Ontario. You know, it's daunting. But here they go. We're well-renowned in the ball hockey world. We really do punch above our weight. I know you, I use that phrase a lot, but we do. And so yesterday, the under-19 women from the province beat Ontario 2-1 to become national champions. Absolutely great. There was more ball hockey on the go over the weekend, whether it be provincially or nationally. If you can help me understand some of the other results, because I simply saw that pass by. One of my fellow board members at the Avalon Celtics, Tracy Hawley, her daughter was on the team, uh, Ashley. So congratulations to all hands right there. Also, David Williams passed me this info last week. I meant to get it out there, but I want to say congratulations to the newest inductees into the Tennis Newfoundland and Labrador Hall of Fame. So, some contemporaries of mine. Daria O'Reilly, terrific player. Heather Donovan, fantastic. They're both inducted in the athlete category. Melissa Pine and Jennifer Bishop in the athlete and builder category. Both fine players and organizers, builders. Of course, Jennifer Bishop, currently the president of Tennis Canada. The Tennis Canada Distinguished Service Award presented to Jennifer's late father, Jerry Bishop. Uh, Declan Walsh is the rising star at TNL. Uh, Eva Lynn Rice, female junior player of the year. Liam Drover Matinin with the male junior player of the year. And that's great celebration and accolades for those players congratulations to you i'm going to keep going st john's natives maggie connors and abby newhook have both been invited to team canada's national women's team camp this summer maggie's been there before first time for abby absolutely fantastic stuff it's a great honor and we wish them both the very best of luck hopefully they can crack the lineup and I understand someone called Tim yesterday about some of the woes that are plaguing Hockey Canada. I think the caller was getting at the fact that there's lots of good people in the sport, there's lots of good stories coming out of the sport, and that's true. But some of the bad stories and the scandals inside Hockey Canada does not negate the good news. It's important to celebrate good news in any sport, in any walk of life. And please do share some of your good news with me this morning. But that doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to the bad things some of the cultural issues in a variety of minor and amateur sports, including hockey. So we can have both of those conversations at the same time, but let's, let's not turn a dark eye or a blind eye too, because there are some big stories that have yet to be and should be uncovered and fully understood about the, whether it be Hockey Canada's role and yes, the culture inside some of the dress rooms on some of the teams. All right, a couple more quick ones. I know a bit of sports here, but you know, just easing into the week. Way to go. 
to Brett Budgel, 21-year-old from St. John's. He played for the Charlottetown Islanders last year in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. 79 points on 40 tallies and 39 assists. He played 270 career games, all with Charlottetown. He has signed a contract with the Toronto Marlies to play in the, uh, the American Hockey League. So has Zach O'Brien, of course, superstar for the Newfoundland Growlers. Last year, 53 games, 28 goals, 50 assists, second in points overall in the league itself. So he, of course, was the Kelly Cup MVP a couple of years ago. He has played in some 13 games for the Marlies. He signed a contract as well, and off he goes. Last one, promise. I remember the 1992 Summer Games in Barcelona. It was after the breakup of the Soviet Union, and some of the countries that were on the outside looking in became part of what they called the Commonwealth of Independent States, the unified team. Athletes from Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, some of the Central Asian republics, Moldova, Ukraine, and one of their athletes, a Belarusian, a guy named Vitaly Sherbo. Do you recognize the name? He's an artistic gym, uh, gymnast. He was representing the Commonwealth of Independent States, became the first gymnast to win six gold medals at a single games for riding the pommel horse. He won on the rings, incredible. Vault, parallel bars in the team event and the all-around. The most prolific athlete of the year, Vitaly Sherbo. Okay, moving on. So some say, and I dismiss it in full, that summer is over after regatta day. And of course it's not. But it does indeed kind of change some of the mindset. Even though we want to keep summer alive, we don't want to be thinking about school and some of the other things that fall brings. But before we know it, and we're all aware of this, August moves very quickly. And so before we know we're into September and before we know we're back in the school. So if you're the parent of a high school student and you've had some worries with the last three years, you know, one of your sons or daughters is graduating, moving on to wherever it might be, Memorial University, College of North Atlantic, Marine Institute, another vocational school, and had some concerns with how it went, the stops and starts and the hybrid model and learning from home, and you know the rest of it. There was a high school symposium to deal with these particular issues that I haven't heard anything about since the symposium took place. If you're the parent of one of these children, please, or young, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, please let me know what you know. If any additional supports were brought forward, have you been able to avail of them? Do you know any more about the high school symposium than I do? Because at this point, I know very, very little. But I'd like to know, because this is a critically important issue. On top of that, you know, I know this is bad news for the families down in the Buren Peninsula, in Marystown in particular, where the school district has axed early French immersion. It's going to continue for those that are in grade one, but not for the low enrollment of students coming into kindergarten. You know, there's one family, they have three kids. The youngest is already learning some French at preschool, kindergarten, and is ready to go, wants to learn French at the big school. We understand when enrollment is low, it's hard to put forward every single offering inside the K-12 system. And people bemoan the fact that there's even the inclusion of French or early French immersion, but there is some absolute upside, not only for opportunities after grade 12 and after post-secondary, but it's well understood what the benefits of learning a second language are for opening up your mind for easier access to other learnings in other areas of the curriculum. So the folks in Marystown, if you're one of those parents and you want to talk about it, let's go. And before you know it, for Memorial University. Students that are making their way to the province or to the metro region from other parts of Newfoundland and Labrador looking for a place to stay. We've had the conversations. We understand the rental crush that's out there, the very low vacancy rates, the high and raising costs of rent, and some of the conditions in some of the rental units. 
So just imagine when you've already got the built-up anxiety, especially if you're a first year, a freshman moving into post-secondary, into MUN, adding housing issues to your level of concern, and then maybe having to work a part-time job, which many have done as they went to university, to be able to pay the bills. We spoke about this some while back, and I don't know what the layer of concern or concentration is on this front at MUN, or other post-secondary, but at, same, uh, pardon me, at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, they have a very formal match-up system between incoming students and seniors in the area. So for a break on the rent, the seniors will have a young MUN student that is carefully vetted and placed with them that will be able to take care of some household chores, get a break on the rent, and do away with some of their worries and anxiety about having a place to live. I wonder how formally that's been implemented at MUN or other post-secondary schools. If you, once again, are one of the students or the family members and can fill in the blanks for us, we can do it. And part of paying your bills is paying your hydro bill. So in the most recent newsletter coming from Newfoundland Labrador Hydro, the July newsletter, electricity bills as a result of the rate stabilization adjustment were set to decrease by 6.4%. Always good news. What it's supposed to and intended to do is reflect the actual cost of generating electricity in the province. Add to it, and not as well documented or advertised, offsetting the 6.4% decrease is a 6.1% increase in our electricity rates so that hydro can begin recovering and paying for Muskrat Falls. They say it's going to add up this year to about $43 million, which is the epitome of a drop in the bucket against the however many billion dollars it's going to end up costing. All right. And we know the issues that have plagued Muskrat, and if you want to take it on, we can do it. But there you go, right? You know, the consumer advocate Dennis Brown says this is reasonable. David Brazel, uh, leader of the official opposition, says it's, you know, it was brought forward once again, and he what calls, and this is a paraphrase, the cloak of secrecy and not as transparent as he would like it. This conversation has been taking place for quite a long time about incremental increase in hydro bills to start paying the Muskrat Falls bill, even though they're unable to flip, flip the switch for the full flow of power. Some power has been flowing across the Labrador Island link and across the Maritime link, but not in full. Most of it due to the software problems, but your thoughts on now collecting Muskrat Falls power monies even though the project isn't up and running in full as of yet. I think that would be curious. I just want to throw it out there. So the bills are going, here's some of the numbers for context. Electricity rates for the residential customer, 12.346 cents per kilowatt hour. The basic customer charge increases, albeit very slightly, from $15.81 to $15.83. And it's all part of this quote-unquote rate mitigation fund. Do you want to tackle it? We can do it. And I wonder, you know, I'm actually quite keen to learn more about the doing away with the ban on wind generation for electricity in the province and wind generation for hydrogen in particular. We had Minister Andrew Parsons on the program. There is still a lot of work to be done to really understand 100% what's going to happen. But are you at all interested in these particular issues? We haven't had much in the way of conversation and or emails or tweets about it. But I'm really curious as to see what's going to happen here. You know, the questions will be buffers around the community, you know, 
the what some people say was the unsightly nature of the wind turbines. I think really importantly, given the fact that not every project is going to be a roaring success, so is the plan or will the plan be to lease crown land because we've got to maximize value. You know, it'll come in the form of an increased tax base with some jobs, some upfront in the uh, the manufacturing and all that R&D type of work. And the minister was clear and quick to say that there is going to be some strict attention to the R&D portion of this stuff. But if not all projects are going to potentially be successful, let's hope that we lease the crown land as opposed to sell the crown land. And all of a sudden, a project that may not be working as intended, the proponents will now be sitting on what is inherently going to be some valuable crown land. So that's one of the facets I think we need to keep an eye on. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, moving on into healthcare, and this is a rotating problem for different parts of the province, but the, the emergency room in the Bonavista Peninsula Healthcare Center closed today for 24 hours. Human resources concerns. All right. You know, the thought is, does anybody care? Is anybody doing anything? I think, even though nobody wants to hear this, I don't think it's a matter of people don't care because politicians, if they were able to come to the microphone of the TV cameras with big good news announcements in health care, that would be a political victory, which is enough for anybody to care as a politician. But it's also, you know, what are other measures that are taking place? So if a family doctor sets up shop and has a full patient roster three years later, there's a $100,000 bonus coming your way. To keep some of these more rural uh, emergency rooms open, there is the opportunity for a doctor to make an additional $800 a day to take on some of these ER shifts. And it's not just doctors. We know the burnout and the 600 vacancy of nurses, 900 nurses set to retire. Add in LPNs and nurse practitioners and social workers and pharmacists and porters and orderlies and all the rest of it. But I know that's as wide as it is broad. But is there more you think they, that can be done? Like even if it's about flexibility of schedule, the doctor that was willing to stay on Bell Island if some of their needs and wants were met. And they weren't, and he's gone. So I think there's a lot to that if you want to take it on. We can do it, and today is a day for community groups involved in mental health services and addictions. The grant, grants up to $200,000 worth are going to be applied for, and the deadline for those is coming up. It's not quite yet. It's September the 30th. So any individuals, groups, not-for-profits who work in and promote mental health and mental well-being and addiction support, that a bit of money is out there for you to apply for, which is a lot of work to say the very least, to apply for these monies. All right, we are on Twitter. or VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. One fellow did see us out flowing through the corner of my eye. Da -da -da. Ed says, the, uh, refer to the under-19 Newfoundland Labrador Women's National Championship ball hockey team. They're the first NL ladies under-19 ball hockey team to win the gold medal, plus they were undefeated in the tournament. That was an FYI, which I appreciate. Okay, let's go ahead and uh, get a tune on the go before we come back and speak with you. So, people might be familiar with the tune, The Lavender Cowboy. Only three hairs on his chest, right? The Lavender Cowboy. Dave, do you know that song? <laughs> Today at the top of the adult contemporary charts, Glenn Campbell. He's a rhinestone cowboy. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's begin on line number one. Good morning, Maureen. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, uh, Patty. Um... I'm kind of, I've been down here on Cliff uh, Bird's uh, Lane, or uh, yeah, Lane, the past two weeks, picking up my great-nephew, and I noticed that there's a wheelchair parking area here, as about three cars can get in there. 
and there's no blue markings on the on the pavement to say that it's wheelchairs. And the signs are really up high. So if you're going in that, oh, excuse me, if you're going in that area and you're backing in, you can't see those signs. I know we, we got the look around when we parked to see where the signs are to, but anyone, I, I just asked, I just met, told two people here that time they were parking that it was a handicap zone. And when it gets out, they, they don't found it because I tell them the signs are there and it keeps looking up, right? Just so, so uh, Maureen, just one second. Where exactly are we talking about? Uh, you're there by Cliff's Birds Lane. You know the... the yeah, Bears Cove, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Bears Cove. Uh, sorry, because I don't be downtown very often. No problem. And there is a parking area there by the gallery. It's a wheelchair parking. And I, I, I've been down here the past two weeks uh, picking up my, my nephew. And he, how many people ha- am I have to telling that's a, par- a wheelchair parking zone? Because everyone parks there. There was a girl there yesterday morning. She went and got a, uh, a ticket. It was $700. Yeah, the rules changed uh, a number of years ago. Fines went from 400, I think, to 700, or that's the variable uh, available, 400, 700. So it's worthwhile being very careful. And obviously, you shouldn't park in a blue zone unless you have either the temporary or the five-year blue zone parking permit. So if that's a city parking spot then, unless it's somehow owned by one of the companies there that they've got the actual land and they own it and have set it aside for blue zone parking, but the sign has got to be easily red and you absolutely should have the ground painted blue with the white wheelchair inside it so the people know because you know I don't know if the young girl just simply made an honest mistake and didn't recognize it to be a disabled parking zone or a blue zone zone and all of a sudden walks away with a $700 ticket or I guess drives away but yeah it's important to paint it so people know what they're getting into of course yes there's no paint uh, there's no blue mar- uh, paint on that uh, that uh, wheelchair area so, you know, I, would, I don't know the bylaws or what it is. Uh, it is the city's area. And I was talking to a couple here yesterday, and they, they manage just one of the stores here, and they have to say how many people do they tell that that's a wheelchair parking spot. And I was here one day, and I was waiting in my car, and I was parked there for about a half hour. And when I moved across the street... And when I looked up, I said, oh, my God, that's wheelchair. And I was there sitting in my car Mm -hmm. for that length of time. And I said, you know, I felt really bad because I am uh, on disability myself. And if I had a wheelchair parking space, I wouldn't want anyone to park in it. And I wouldn't do it to anyone else. Of course. Right? Yep. So, you know, uh, just a heads up. I'm trying to do a good deed for the day, just if anyone is listening. You know, and we have tourists here, and they don't, you know, they come and park there and don't realize. And the signs are up a little bit higher than normal, right? 
I can't picture it in my mind's eye. Uh, I do have to go downtown in the next couple of days for something. So I'll just have a zip by and have a look. And if it's absolutely a piece of city property, then the city can get a note from me asking why it's not properly signed and or why it doesn't have proper signage and why isn't it painted blue? Because that's what people look for, isn't it? You might be looking yes. for the sign that says, you know, two hour parking or this loading zone or no parking. But if it's not blue, then people won't even consider the fact that it might be a blue zone parking space. So I'll have a peek now when I make my way down. And you say you're trying to do a good deed. I think you've done exactly that this morning, Maureen. Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, take good care. Bye-bye. Uh, let's get a quick word from our friend on line number two. He's the business agent with Teamsters Local 855. I think just clearing up something that we spoke about last week with Hubert Daw. On to Hubert, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How's this day for you? So far, so good. Thanks for asking. How about you? <laughs> so disappointed to hear that the Bonham Vista Hospital is going to be closed down again today. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Terrible for terrible for that reason, and I, I appreciate that it's happening all around our province. I, but I mean, it's it's just it's an unbelievable situation that we find ourselves in with with these closed downs and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, the reason we're reaching out this morning is uh, when we spoke last week, I had mentioned to you that uh, I had some concerns that the training facilities in the province. Uh, from the information that I had at the time, led us to believe that only one school was going to be able to uh, offer a program in the fall. Uh, this, uh, I've since been reached out to by uh, Key and College in Grand Falls, Windsor, and I'm very, very pleased to announce that they have a full-class schedule for September of this year, so that's that's great positive news coming out of that region. And I did want to reach out and apologize to the school staff and the students out there for any confusion that may have been caused there. Um, you know, it's, it's it's great news. It's you know, great information to be able to pass on to your people. It is a sign of hope for us and our industry for going forward, right? Well, I mean, and I know, and you know, and I'm sure they know full well, you weren't trying to slight them on purpose. Sometimes when there's an omission or I misspeak or what have you, it does help to clear it up because correct information, accurate information is good, not only for that school, but good for folks in the province who are worried about paramedics and first responders in the first place. So I appreciate the clarification and the update this morning, Hubert. Thank you very much for the time to allow me to do it, Patty. Anytime. Stay in touch. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Right. Super he's the business agent with Teamsters Local 855. Yeah, I mean, getting the info out there is important, obviously, right? So, uh... Big thank you to, uh, to Sharon for sending me uh, some beautiful pics from St. Vincent's. The whales are back. Not in some of the numbers that we've seen in years past. And if you've ever wanted to go watch and look at a few uh, humpbacks, it's hard to beat St. Vincent's. There's such a deep water drop off very close to shore. And they're chasing whatever, the caper or the mackerel or whatever they're chasing close to shore. And they're right there. You can smell them, for God's sake. And they're in St. Vincent's if you're so inclined to have a look after this program. Let's take a break. When we come back, there's a caller in the queue talking about issues getting in to see a specialist. And then whatever you want to talk about. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on... On your VOCM, we get people talking. Welcome back. All right, let's try line number four. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hello, is that me? That's you. Hi, Patty. Listen, uh, thanks for what you're doing. Appreciate the kind words. What's on your mind this morning, sir? Yes, uh, I'm frustrated, mad, angry. I'm a little bit of all of it. And I'm going to try to give you a close notes of what went on, what I've learned over the last couple of days with regards to Eastern Health. We're trying to get into a ENT specialist. Um, 
Let me see where to begin. Uh, I have what is called uh, vertigo, which is known as seasickness or the, the what they call the dizzy thing, right? It's the inner ear with your crystals. And uh, anyway, the only way to get it fixed is, is you have to go to – it makes you dizzy and you fall down. You can't close your eyes because the room is spinning. It's yeah. called vertigo. Yeah. Anyway, the only way to get it fixed basically is uh, – it's no good to lie down. Uh, or close your eyes, but the only way is either take, I guess, gravel or some kind of prescription, or you got to go to an ENT specialist. They lie you down on the bed and they uh, put paddles, these new devices, they got paddles behind your ears, your, your middle ears, and within seconds you're fixed. Anyway, I've been suffering for this for the last couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get emotional. Anyway, I'm, I'm falling over stuff. And uh, I'm tripping over stuff. I got my legs broke up, and I got myself bruised up, and I can't drive my car. And Eastern Health is making me fit because I had to ride my mountain bike into health sciences last night and wait a couple hours, and I had to leave because the place was jam-packed in there. It was hot and humid, and it was completely filled with people, and it was COVID in there, and it was unbelievable. And Eastern Health is telling me that the only way to get to an ENT is go in and be triaged or go in an ambulance, which is crazy, $115 for an ambulance. And that's the only way I can get a referral because I can't get into my GP to get a referral to get to an ENT. Yeah, so and I mean... I'm suffering, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but... No, I'm sorry. They're telling me to go to the ENT on call, but I can't get access to the ENT on call because uh, I'm trying to sh- short or navigate the system. And my GP's receptionist is telling me to go to the health science short track to get a referral from the health science and emergency to get access to the ENT on call. Patty, I, I don't understand. And I got myself broke up. And, and I can't drive my car and I had to ride my mountain bike. And the parking lot was half full at the public waiting area. And she was jam-packed in there. And you should see all the people that were sick at the health science last night. I had to leave, Patty, because my mom... I understand. You take your time. So just a couple of things. You know, needing a referral from your GP, your family doctor, to see the ENT. For folks who might not be familiar with the acronym, that's your ear, nose, and throat yes. specialist. Yes. Vertigo, I, knock on wood, I don't have it, but I have in the past had a... A couple of occasions where I've had some dizzy spells, and it is extremely troubling and upsetting, off-putting. You know, even very fundamental things with dexterity. Everyday tasks become a little bit more difficult than normal because things are spinning around. I mean, even closing your eyes or lying in a dark, quiet room or whatever else you try to do, like uh, one of the recommendations when I spoke to a doctor, this is years ago, if it happens at night is to sit up and turn on the light, which I don't know what happens, the exact opposite of what they recommend to do at night, it can lead to hearing loss, if I remember correctly. So it's an issue that needs to be dealt with. I don't know what a wait time would be to see an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat specialist, but I'm sure like many other specialties, it's potentially a very long wait. And, I mean, there you are, and even riding your bike, I'm sure driving the car is potentially dangerous for you and everyone else around you, but riding your bike is probably not the best idea either when you're feeling the way you do. Well, well, I can't understand that. Well, I, I guess it's, it's crazy, but my my uh, GP receptionist is telling me how to navigate the system, which seems don't seem right because 
I don't want to do anything wrong. And they're telling me to get an ambulance to be triaged at the health science or throw myself on the floor in there. And there was about 60 to 80 people in there, and there were really sick people in there. I waited a couple of hours. I had to get out of there because I didn't want to catch COVID because my mom was in a long-term care unit, and she haven't caught COVID, and I'm afraid to bring it to her. Okay, here's something that uh, Jenny sent along. It looks extremely helpful. Whoa. It's called the Newfoundland Labrador Balance and Dizziness Center. It's what? here in St. John's on Elizabeth Avenue. It's located at 60 Elizabeth Avenue. They're also in Grand Falls, Windsor, uh, on 32 Queensway. What? They operate Monday through Friday from 8 to 6 uh, until it's 8 to 8 to Thursday, and Friday from 8 to 5. I have a phone number as well and an email okay. address. This yeah. could be extremely helpful. Yeah, what do they do for you? Well, they treat a variety of things. So I just had a very quick look because I just saw this 30 seconds ago. So they do... uh Vestibular rehab, neurological rehab, concussion clinic and rehabilitation, okay. orthopedic surgery, up and down the line, dry needling, shockwave therapy. I think that's more for like ultrasound for knees and stuff like mm. that. Speech and language pathology, counseling, tele-rehab, up and down the line. But if they're involved in uh, balance and dizziness, of course, one of the issues inside that would be vertigo. So let me give you the phone number. Okay. It's uh, 700-1474. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an office that it looks like is right in your crosshairs. Exactly the type of treatment you need uh, while you're waiting to get in to see a specialist where you'll maybe be able to get a different level of treatment, maybe some different type of diagnosis and prognosis. But please try them. That looks yeah. like it could be very helpful. Listen, uh, I'm serious, but uh, are they able to... Uh do the same procedure as the ear, nose, and throat specialist with the vertigo? I would not know, but I tell okay. you what, while you're waiting and you don't have to go through the long waits in the emergency room and or all the other issues we've been dealing yeah. with, at least give them a call because the title speaks to me that it might be a, a group that can absolutely give you some help immediately. So I'd try them for sure. Okay, I got uh, two real quick things to say. Fire. Um, okay, uh, um, okay. Uh, number one, uh, I, I did get a referral to an ENT uh, specialist, but the problem is is that I had to go to a different GP, and they did it over the phone for me. Okay. I begged and crawled, and you name it, I tried to get it over the last couple of weeks. Anyway, my, my appointment with the ENT is August 22nd, but... Patty, I can't wait that long. I can't. My legs are broke up. I'm falling around. I'm okay. injuring myself. I understand. I, I mean, mean, I told I told receptionist, <clears throat> see you at my funeral. I can't take them. I can't even drive, Patty. I'm going to have an accident. Okay, just hold on a second. If you're looking for some support between now and August 22nd, yeah. hopefully this group can give you exactly that. Oh, okay. Other listeners are also chiming in to say that they've actually, and this is, look, I mean, it's a shame that we have to go to Google to find some exercises, oh God, but Patty. there might be some things that you can do. This one person is talking about uh, an Epley maneuver that oh, they look at. It's called E-P-I-L-Y maneuver. Epilepsic? Epileptic? No, it's a E-P-I-L-Y, so it's not epileptic, it's oh. epile, and so that has provided some support, pardon me, some relief for this particular person. Yeah. There's an also another lady sent me an email saying that she found some very fundamental exercises to do at home to help with your vertigo. She found hers on YouTube, so now always be careful, because mm. YouTube is not a doctor, but no. between the, biz the dizziness center and maybe some online exercise you can find, 
between all of those and August 22nd, maybe you can get some relief and get some control of your symptoms. Hopefully that helps you out. Let me know how it goes. And I was going to say one other thing. At the ENT specialist, there's five specialists there, and I begged and cried that if someone could just take me in for three minutes, and they won't do it, but I do have an appointment for the 22nd at 3 o'clock. Let me know how it goes. I can't. I'm not going to make it till then. Let me know how it goes. I got myself banged up. I'm falling over the stairs. I can't do nothing. I I heard all that, and I feel terrible for you. So what I want you to do is call that phone number and to maybe see if you can find some easy-to-do at-home exercises to give you a bit of a break while you're waiting to get in to see the formal appointment at the formal specialist. So do that and let me know how it goes. Can I say one last thing? What if you, you can think, do it quickly. Yeah. What do you think about the the the, the uh, what do you call it? The receptionist and uh, and uh, whatever telling you how to circumnavigate the system. I don't. I I think that's disgraceful. Like telling me how to get around it. Like like go to the uh, go to emergency to to try to get in touch with an ENT that's on call. I mean, but that, the, that's crazy. But they're not trying to be disgraceful. What they're trying to do is give you some tips that might get you seen a little bit quicker. Literally. It's a shame that it's come down to those types of conversations and comments coming from the pros but they're not doing it to besmirch the system they're not doing to send you in a bad direction they're probably just trying to help you just like we are this morning so make that call yeah let me know okay let's yeah let's uh uh, we know what was I going to say then just make Uh, the call and let me know how it goes they told me not to go on the air with patty daly who the uh, the ENT uh, the ENT uh, receptionist and the switchboard told me not to go on. I told him I can't take no more. And go yeah, on but, uh, but who cares about that? Look, they told me not to go on the air with Patty Daly. It would make it worse. For no, me. it's not going to make anything worse. It's not going to do they anything me for you. They hear me on the air. They're going to make it worse. If for they me. do anything like that, you let me know. I'll be sure that, that that's the last time they ever say that to anybody. That's what they Look, said to me, Patty. Uh, let, hold on a second. Don't worry about that because we didn't say anything bad about the ENT. We didn't see anything bad about the reception, so we don't care about that stuff. We're seeing if we can get you some help. So do that. Call that number and let me know. Your producer advised me not to say nothing. Don't you worry about any of that stuff. You didn't do anything wrong. Call that number. Get some help. Let me know how it goes. I'm going to have to go now, but I I wish you good luck. I love you. Take good care of yourself. Love you too. All right, let's take that break. When we come back, Amy's in the queue to talk about the fact that the Newfoundland Labrador English-speaking school district has indeed axed early French immersion down at Sacred Heart in Marystown. We'll hear what Amy has to say after this. Welcome back. Let's go to line number three. Amy, you're on the air. Hi there, Patty. Hi there. Um, I have a daughter. We have a daughter in French immersion here in Marystown, and I know a lot of us parents are pretty upset with the news we recently got that the French immersion uh, program is going to be canceled uh, here in Marystown in September. The enrollment is pretty low, and I mean, it do vary from year to year, but I mean, teachers alone, of course, and I'm sure a lot of them would like to call in as well, but us as parents and the board for Canadian French parents, we're, we're all working hard to try to save this program. So I think it's just getting the information out there. Um, so just yeah, a couple of things so people have the additional context. So early French immersion will continue for the students in grade one who enrolled from kindergarten for the program, but only five students were scheduled to enroll for early French immersion in, in kindergarten this coming September, which makes it difficult to to offer the program. The biggest problem here is beyond those five students and their families, which is a problem, as the husband of a French woman, French teacher, parent of two early French immersion children, I get it. The problem then becomes 
if you lose it, how much more difficult is it to get it back? So while you try to recruit families for this year, next year, what will the numbers even have to be? Do you have any idea from the district how many numbers they'll have to see for students enrolling in early French immersion to bring it back? Um, I'm not really sure of the numbers they would expect, but I know for next September, they already have 10 people uh, looking for interest to be enrolled. So. Okay. Um, right now, yeah, the program is going to continue for the kids, including our child, who's going to grade three now and has been in French immersion and is excelling in it. It's really upsetting as parents to see that our friends and our families and stuff, their kids are not going to get that opportunity because, you know, once it's gone, it's probably gone. It's been around and it's the only program offered on the Bureau Peninsula for children to do this early French immersion. So. Um, they've been doing combined classes all along. So as parents, all we're trying to advocate is that why not combine these five children in with the grade ones coming in September and then the enrollment in the following years, as it looks right now, talking to the uh, Federation, there is the interest there. It's just this year seems to be a little bit of a hiccup. And parents are pretty upset about it because especially the parents that I've been talking to that their children are supposed to go to kindergarten in September in French immersion and looking forward to that because their siblings are already in French. So they're losing out on that opportunity because of one year, you know. So this is where we're trying to advocate to save it because, you know, I think in future years it's probably not going to be an issue either. It's been around for since 1986 here. Mm -hmm. The one family you mentioned, I think the lady's name is Kimberly Young, she has a, a young fella Sebastian I think going to grade 5 another young daughter going to grade 2 and then the other child I believe his name was Jasper and I remember that because I lived in that uh, town called Jasper is he'll be on the le- he'll be left on the outside looking in he took French in pre-kindergarten and exactly. is ready to My go daughter, our daughter did the same thing I mean she yeah. was looking forward to, to learning French and she loves it and she talks to people in French and she's only going to grade 3 so parents like you know Kimberly Young her son now is, is going to miss out on that opportunity to do French immersion because if he doesn't enroll in, in kindergarten, he don't get to go to it if it comes back. And I mean, we're, we're afraid it's not going to come back that they're taking it. So we're trying to fight that. Okay, for September, combine those five children. We've done combined classes before. It's a solution. It's an easy solution. It doesn't cost any extra. And those children, my daughter right now is in a combined class grade one and two and next year grade two and three so how is it any different this year in september not to combine those five kindergarten children in with the grade ones we've been doing it all along why why cut the program completely and now we're losing it you know it's it's upsetting as parents but it's upsetting as teachers too i've talked to many teachers about it and and like we're all just like feared that it's going to be gone forever. And this is the only program we have on the Bureau Peninsula for our children. The suggestion of uh, multi-grade classrooms, look, if we're doing it in other areas and in the English stream, pardon me, then why can't we do it here? That's an excellent suggestion and an offer that, you know, I'd like to know the explanation as to why they're rejecting it. Uh, On a personal note, you know, like for some families out there trying to make this decision, is, you know, let's just say mom and dad, all they have is some of their high school French, and they're worried about being able to help their son or daughter. It's truly remarkable, the sponge nature of a kindergarten suit, just how quickly they pick up the most fundamental. And between September and June, it's mind-boggling how proficient they are in French, even through the course of being five years of age in kindergarten. Why did you and your family decide to send your child to for early French immersion? Um, actually, um, our daughter is 
she has one parent who's bilingual uh, by by trade, like done French in Alfred school, went to university and studied French. So it was an easy option for us. We wanted that opportunity for our daughter. Um, and, you know, we're happy. Like, we're happy we got to do that. And I feel for the parents who are going to miss out on that because my daughter is going to continue French immersion right until she graduates and hopefully have a future. There's so many graduates from the Jordan Peninsula who are working in the field and using this French. And I want we wanted that for our daughter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's as a parent, I don't have another daughter going through or another child going through, but I really sympathize with the parents who are struggling right now to even tell their own kids you're not going to be able to do it i prepared you all along we've done french preschool we did the same thing with our daughter and like to make sure that the interest was there and our daughter is only going to grade three and she can pick up a book in french and read it and she can pick up a book in english and read it and like it amazes us every day the learning that they get from these french immersion programs yeah you don't and leave english behind yeah. that that's that's a myth and you know no, some will say well no, it's just an opportunity to work for the federal government no it's really not like if you stand back and look at some of the research that goes into the benefits of learning a second language the benefits of the arts and music in school it, it talks about uh, creative thinking better memory problem solving skills a lot of things associated with opening up that side of your brain to learn a second language can offer you better opportunities and enhance your skills in areas that's beyond French. Just in your ability to learn and problem solve and creative thinking is enhanced. If you just look at the academic research, don't need to leave it to me to tell you, but those things are well understood. So it's bigger than simply learning and understanding being able to speak French. And you know what? Here on the Buren Peninsula, we get a lot of people from St. Pierre. And I have witnessed my daughter in Walmart hearing someone speak French and communicate with one of their children. Sure. There you go. It's amazing, right? So, like, it's it's the education part of it, but you're right. You're saying, like, it's not just the education part of it, but we're fighting for the education because if we lose that part of it, it's gone. You know, so we've been combining classes all along. Our daughter's been doing absolutely amazing in a combined class. So just because there's one year of low enrollment and showing next year there's 10, you know, we can combine these five children coming into kindergarten with the grade ones like we've been doing all along. Like, why why cut it? Why just throw it? You know what I mean? Like, it's so upsetting. And I know I'm not the only one upset about it. And I'm not affected directly, but indirectly I am because my daughter has friends that have siblings and, and Jasper being one of them. Okay. Like, they talk about going into French. So, you know, it's taking something away from them that really don't need to be done. I don't think it's necessary for them to just cut it. And we're advocating and we're doing everything we can. So figured I'd call in open line and get it out there because a lot of people are just figuring, well, the enrollment's not there. You know, it's a dying program, but it's really not. Um, Like I said, 10 children have already been put on the the list to do it next year. So it's only this year. Why take it away because of a hiccup? We're getting enough cuts on the Bureau of Peninsula. We don't need to cut education for kids. Understood. I really appreciate making time for the show this morning, morning, Amy. So bon chance, the rest day on contact. Oh, merci. Take good care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye, Amy. Uh, that's just a bit of good luck. So uh, appreciate Robert's patience. He's in the queue, wants to talk about the doctor shortages in Central. It's, of course, everywhere. But every now and then, maybe it's just the frequency of the notes that I see. Somehow feels like it's a little more dire and frequent in Central. 
Now, of course, none of that changes with the amalgamation of all the four regional health authorities and some of the issues and questions associated with that move. But we'll hear from Robert right after this about what's going on out in Central. And then we're going to come back and speak with you about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go now to line number five. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. I'm calling from St. Albans this morning here in beautiful Betis Bear. Welcome to the show, and thank you for your patience. Robert? No problem, sir. No, I've got a little story of my own this morning about the health care system that we're facing now in uh, Newfoundland. Uh, My wife has been recently diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, my. And until you see someone suffer from rheumatoid arthritis like she has, you really don't understand you know what's happening i hear her in the middle of the night crying middle of the day she got to go to bed as she's in there crying i have to help dress her in the mornings help get her to the washroom it's it's uh, it's not an easy thing to to watch your wife suffer like that. I know I have a friend with rheumatoid arthritis, so I've seen it in action. It's yeah. extremely debilitating, and it's not just about inflammation and joint pain and redness and tenderness and stuff. I mean, they are exhausted 24/7. Oh my God! Fever comes and goes. He's lost about 70 pounds. He, he was only wow. he was only a buck 85 to begin with, so it has hit him like a ton of bricks. So I, not that I've lived it, but I've seen it in action, so I can empathize with what you and your wife are going through. Yes. And uh, so she's been seeing a doctor in Grand Falls, and he's put her on some meds. And sometimes the meds for arthritis takes a while to kick in. And it looks like this one is taking a long while because it's not doing a thing for her. And she talked to her doctor again. And the last time she talked to her on the 27th of July, he said, I got to get you in to see a specialist in St. John's. So uh, yesterday morning, the phone rang. I said, great. Looks like she's talking to someone in St. John's. When she got off the phone, I said, what time is your appointment? She said, I can't get in till January of next year. I said, you're kidding. She said, no. And she said, the receptionist told her, the only reason you're getting in then is the doctor here is doing a favor for your doctor in Grand Falls. Wow. No. Isn't that something? It's extraordinary. So this is to see a rheumatologist. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and there's also a chronic pain feature of this where that's now becoming a more common uh, discipline for graduates in med school. So it's an awful long time to wait. I mean, are they giving her, you know, are they revisiting the, the drug she's taking so that maybe we can find some relief because there's a long time between now and January? My God, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of damage to her joints mm-hmm. if she doesn't get in before then. That's my just just my observation. But... We've seen uh, a, a local doctor here that we've had here for uh, last month or so, but he's leaving now until November. But he did put her on some meds to help with the pain she's having and the stiffness. But then when she told her doctor in Grand Falls what she was taking, he told her to stop. Don't take them because it's going to interfere with the meds that I have you on for your rheumatoid. So... 
what do you do, Patty? And, and another thing my wife said when she got off the phone, the lady on the other end said, you know, he's doing a favor for your daughter by getting you in. Like, there was no compassion in her voice. And I think we've lost a lot of that in our medical system those days. Nobody seems to care. And, and, I, and I really don't think the, the politicians fully understand what's going on, you know, behind the scenes sometimes. And they got to get more involved. My God, I mean, if you've got to wait for somebody to do a favor for you, for Gideon, I think that's a bit much. It is. And, you know, the when we talk about health care, um, the individual stories, the human toll is much different than we, when we simply say there's 125,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradors without a family doctor. And uh, the wait times for hip replacement are this or whatever. It's, that's just the big numbers that catches all. But inside of these individuals, there are stories of extraordinary stress and pain and worry and anxiety that is just hard to wrap your mind around it's just amazing yes uh, it's unbelievable so if that lady is listening this morning uh, to your show i hope uh, she is Uh, we don't need your favors we need your help and we need it soon because i can't take much more of, uh, of this watching my wife suffer like she is without seeing somebody and getting on the right medications and you know hopefully that'll speed the recovery well no recovery i know she got to learn to live with arthritis but there is meds out there that can help control the pain the stiffness and she do need to see a specialist and way before january believe me yeah and it's not for me to get into what she may or may not be taking but there's steroid treatments and then there's one really popular drug i can't remember what it's called to be honest with you because i thankfully have not lived it but i do hope that she finds some comfort whether it be in the pharmaceuticals that she hopefully eventually end up on which will deal with some of the symptoms and you know uh, i hear you a favor is one thing but time is of the essence for so many people out there who just need to get in and see the specialist once and for all because you know it's one thing when you get a date something to look forward to and you know that the help is coming but six months worth of or five months worth of waiting still makes for a long row to hoe for you and your wife robert i'm sorry it's happening to her but if there was anything we could do we would be happy to do it and we wish that people were able to get in and see their specialist immediately as much as that seems and sounds unlikely and in many forms impossible these days it yeah. still doesn't do away with the human toll uh, would you like to add anything else robert while we have you this morning no that's just my little story this morning but i had to get it out there because it's been so frustrating so far and uh, she needs help she needs help now you know i know she does i appreciate yeah. you making time say hello to your wife for me i wish her well i will thank you patty thanks robert all the best bye-bye right bye-bye Whew. Uh, boy, let's keep going here. Uh, line number six, Tom, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. You know, when you listen to people like that gentleman and his wife's suffering, it's so hard to, to know where to go next. And, you know, I've, when you look around, it's, it's it's everywhere, too. I mean, it's not just in Newfoundland Labrador. The, the challenges with health care and with, um, with what we do, how we go forward. You know, you talk about paying people more money. And I, you know, I reflect upon whether that's an option. I mean, I've been speaking to managers in the public service up and down every different place, and people are making enough money. They don't, they don't want overtime. They want quality of life. And and on some level, you can't you can't blame them. But when you go up to thirty thousand feet, and you know everybody down in the micro level sitting at their desks or in the, at their 
in the hospitals, whatever. I mean, they're just doing the best they can. But when you go up and you look down at it, as a people, we don't have the resources to do anything about it. So what is it? What does it come down to? Is 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 this our public servants? Do we have to, to them go back to be a vocation where it's where it's not about how much you make? It's not about what kind of lifestyle you have. It's more like whether you answer the call to be a to do the job. Because I don't think the normal models work. You know, you go to work, you punch your time, you punch out. And I mean, it seems pretty obvious that more money is not going to fix the problem. We can't afford it. Even if we did, it doesn't seem to make any difference. Well, the government, you know, it it depends what we're talking about, too. So there's, you know, a cost-benefit analysis is different if we're talking about someone working in the oil business or the mining sector or in the public sector, in the healthcare system, working for a small locally owned and operated small to medium-sized business. They're all different. You know, so I might have an employee where the be-all and end-all for them would be the ability to have a flexible schedule in the summertime or work from home when required or when they need to or want to or the provision of daycare or like there's just so many different things not every individual has the same goals and aspirations in this world i might be able to dangle five bucks an hour or more to someone else but that's not what they want they want something absolutely different they want a chance to see their children play sports through the summer or whatever the case may be that's what becomes extremely tricky like i haven't had a chance to wrap my mind around the government's announcement this morning because i'm, I'm busy at this moment but more measures taking or being put forward to deal with nursing vacancies and the 900 nurses set to retire. So again, it's one thing for you to try to keep staff. It's one thing for a restaurateur to keep uh, and attract staff. Another for the government, another for the oil business, another for the other industries and walks of life. That's where labor shortages, they become a tricky conversation. I mean, just look at the stories that we see. And believe it or not, folks, there's labor shortages across the country. And that's not defending a politician or a party in this problems because it's not all about health care. There are absolutely labor shortages. You need to understand what happened to the great layoff. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, the job numbers have recovered. We're back to numbers exceeding pre-pandemic job levels. But we haven't factored in that there are less people looking for those jobs. So labor participation kind of muddies the waters on employment numbers. But the labor shortages are real. And so how does anybody, private sector business owner and operator like yourself or governments, deal with the shortages when it's kind of hard to do the matrix on exactly what why you were short the labor we are. You know, you know, people working is one thing. How many hours they work is another thing. How how productive they are when they're working is another thing. And and all these things matter. And when, when you look around and you see, you see how basically society is breaking down. Because, you know, most people don't really think of it this way, but but our economy and how much money there is, is is totally dependent on how quickly it churns, how fast it turns. It isn't really about you know, not all GDP is the same. I mean, if you're just moving widgets and you cost you $100 to make it and you sell it for $100, well, it still counts as GDP because it's $100. But if you pump a barrel of oil out of the ground and cost you 25 and you sell it for 92 it's a big difference uh, between how much money um, you, uh, you know, is profit. Like profit is, is, is part of it and productivity is part of it. And, and people don't really realize that if people work less, if people retire quicker, if, if, if uh, business owners don't push as hard, if, if parents don't push their children to go into French immersion or to go to college or university or just achieve whatever uh, whatever their goals are and push them harder and harder, the, the short-term, medium-term, long-term impacts, they're massive. And when you go up to 30,000 feet and you look down, you can you, it's just plain. Everybody can see it. Nobody wants to know, Nobody knows what to do about it. But collectively, somehow we have to realize that it, every person has a responsibility 
to lean in. And, you know, you know, JFK or whoever said it first, you know, don't ask what your country if we can do can do for you, but what, you know, your province can what you can do for your province. And and literally whether it's whether it's volunteerism or helping your buddy build a shed or it's making sure if you work in a government department or in a business that you really do lean in, that you realize that every hour matters. I mean, what you do on this show and Dave and everybody does is so important. And, you know, I reflect upon it. I listen to it when you, when you hear the breadth of conversation and the critical thinking, and you can see, in my opinion, you can see how the province has evolved since I became involved, you know, because I really didn't pay attention before, but in the last 124 weeks, since you and I first spoke on March 17th, 2020, it's, it's amazing how more open-minded people are. And these conversations are happening around water coolers, around dinner tables uh, on this show and it's not as taboo as people think it is to talk about the fact that the system, as we allowed it to evolve, driven mostly by, you know, you've said this before, it's it's almost like the responsible people treat us like we're petulant children and we demand more and more and more. And nobody really wants to take individual responsibility for their role in the province and in the future of the province. But that, you know, when you, when the responsible adults sit back and let the children run the place, it's Lord of the Flies. It's, it, you know, it, it doesn't work out. Humans on their own, it's like that poor lady down in the park. People say, oh, if I was there, I would have jumped on that guy. I would have beat that guy up. Well, you know what? Guess what? That's just human nature. Everybody's standing around right now and watching the province and has for the last, you know, since 2005. And you could go back much farther than that, watching us make very, very poor long-term decisions. And everybody's screaming for someone to do something about it. But, you know, as I keep reminding people, the solution's in the mirror. Sometimes it absolutely is. Uh, now, there's also the concept of, you know, you're spinning your wheels, you're working as hard as you can, you're digging in or leaning in, as you like to put it, and still doesn't seem to maybe make a difference. But, of course, that's about the culture of the workplace and exactly what you're doing and, you know, the level of ongoing training or happiness or whatever's going on. So all of these things take on a layer of complexity where it's, you know, if I run a small business, I have the opportunity to understand my employees on the individual level as opposed to the, as you said once again, 30,000 feet, 100,000 feet above sea level and make decisions that I think is going to work for all, generally doesn't. I mean, there's some concepts that can indeed be enticing to the vast majority of your employees, but, you know, Canada's got a labor shortage issue. Canada also has a long-running productivity issue. And I think that's and that's not saying Canadians are lazy because productivity is not solely based on my individual effort. Output has a bunch of variables that you flick into that formula. But, uh, Tom, I'll give you the last word before I have to take a break this morning. Go right ahead. I spoke to a fairly prominent business person, a professional, and he, he said he's just 73, and he figures he'll be able to retire now. He started when he was 21. So he worked for 52 years, worked hard. And when I, you know, in the same conversation, there were a group of people standing around and vice principal, friend of theirs, retired at 51. I mean, I think we have to seriously realize that if all the nurses, professionals, teachers, if everyone just gets to retire as their their very generous collective agreement and pensions dictate that they can, there will be nobody left to pay the taxes, to educate our children, to keep us and themselves healthy. So it's a very big conversation, but it has to happen on that level where we have to realize that we all have a responsibility, the nurses, the doctors, the teachers, me as a business owner, we all have a responsibility to lean in and and it can be discouraging. I mean, you know, people say, why do you keep bothering? Why do you bother? Keep doing what you do. And I'm like, well, if I don't do it, who will? Everyone stay safe. Take care. You too, Tom. All the best. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going back down the Bureau Peninsula. Let's say good morning to Brenda. We'll hear from her right after this. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Brenda, you're on the air. Hi. 
No, I'm calling regarding the Buren Peninsula Health Care Center. They're no longer doing surgeries here no more. Everybody has to be airlifted to St. John's if you need surgery. But my point is that I've been going to a doctor for the last six months. I've experienced a lot of pain in my legs. They started swelling, and I was having issues with breathing and sleep apnea. So she ordered all these tests on my legs. She ordered all the uh, breathing tests, a sleep apnea test, and she would see me again in June. So I had all the tests done. I phoned the hospital yesterday and said, I was supposed to see doctor in, in June about all the tests that she had done. I found out she left the Bureau Peninsula, and nobody told me. Yikes. So here's all my test results over to the hospital, and my doctor left without letting me know. So I don't have a doctor to go to to get my test results. That's not bad enough, but my feet have swelled from a size 6 to a size 9. My legs are like lobsters with all these red spots and rashes, and the skin is flaking off my legs. I'm having issues trying to climb a hill because my breathing is there. I'm randomly falling asleep at different times. Don't know what, can't get a decent night. And I'm told to do all these tests, and then my doctor's gone, and nobody let me know that she was gone. Okay, so what happened to the tests and the test results? I don't know where they're due. She did them all. I guess my files are somewhere, but there's near doctor to give them to. Apparently, the family practice that we had here had five doctors. Now they're down to one. They're no longer performing surgery at the Bureau of Peninsula Healthcare Center. If you need surgery, a helicopter takes you at the helipop to St. John's to do the okay, surgery. I understand they that. No doctors there to do surgery. But first things first, you need to get the test results. So and how am I supposed to get them when I don't even know where she is? Well, if the clinic is still open, maybe the clinic can help you put in, get you in touch There's with one where the records are. doctor there, and he can't see me because he's so booked that he hasn't been able to get me in. So they asked me to find another doctor so then my file could be sent to them. Okay. I've the three doctors that we do have here that practice here. None of them are taking on new patients. Okay, so does... So my file's over there, and I don't know what to do. But the point is, I can't walk across my living room. My legs have swelled. I can't walk at all. Brenda. It hurts. I'm in so much pain, and I'm sick of taking Tylenol and Advil for the pain. My legs are like lobsters. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there a receptionist working at that family clinic? Yes, and she told me that I can't get in to see doctor. Don't ask doctor her. That's there because he is booked solid. Start. He's hauling. He's hauling. He's taking on the responsibility for the whole family practice. Understood. Don't start with can I get an appointment. Ask her the very specific question. The doctor had has left. Ordered some tests. I need someone to help me find out where the, those test results I are. I said that to her yesterday. I said, well, I was. She was supposed to come back in June. Why would she order me to have all these tests? Tell me she's coming back in June and then not come back in June and nobody informed me that she wasn't coming back. I said, you think somebody would have let me know that my result, that she wasn't coming back and that she would send my file to somebody else? Well, she said, your file is here, but we haven't been told to send it to anybody. I said, well, what about the doctor that is in family practice, the one that is left? She said, my dear, he is so book solid, taking on the responsibility of doing chemo, doing dialysis, plus seeing all the other patients in, doctor pra- in the family practice. He is book solid. We don't know when we can get you in. Can you find another doctor and we can send your file to that doctor? I called the other doctors. They've got too many patients. 
the three doctors that are around here, they're not taking on no new patients. Okay. Can they give you your own medical records, put them in your hand, including your You're test results? You're not allowed to do that. Well, you, you can get your own records through yours. Um, so I don't know why someone told you that you can't actually see. Because they need to be sent to another doctor. That's what she told me. You don't have another doctor. So we're, we end up in this little chase our tail game where <laughs> no one's getting anywhere. So, for instance, if I, and this happens all the time, the unfortunate reality is we need a better system. So if my doctor leaves, we have a billing system through uh, MCP. But why wasn't I informed that she Brenda, I don't. I don't know, Brenda. I don't it doesn't make sense that somebody would order all these tests, tell me to come back in June, and then I'm saying, why haven't I heard from anybody? And then I said, I'm in so much pain, because, I mean, my legs are like clapped just with all these blotches, and the skin is flaking off every day. I can take a cold clot and flake off all the skin that's coming off my legs. And then can't even walk up a hill anymore. Can't do anything anymore. Trapped more or less in my house. Are you going to have to unfortunately resort to go into an emergency room? I went to emergency room one time before with my legs six hours. I know, I it's, it's not perfect, but it's the... No, but I waited six hours for him to tell me that there's not much he can do without ordering tests. And I said, well, can you give me something for the pain? He said, go home and take Tylenol. Do you use a computer, Brenda? No, I don't know nothing about internet. <laughs> I don't, I'm not one of those people that are into it. I, 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 I have nothing to do with the Internet. Okay, Brenda, do you have uh, any friends or family who are people who use and can understand some of the basics on the Internet? Because we can get you some help. I need someone to tell me what's going on with my life. We're, we're trying to. Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. So if you can figure out who around you can help you with the internet. I can put you in touch with a doctor that can maybe speak to you right there on that screen and help you get down to the brass tacks of getting your test results, maybe getting you some help while you're waiting to get in to see a new doctor, which many of us are struggling with, including me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on hold. You're going to speak with Dave Williams. He's going to give you some information. And if it's not going to work for you, you let me know. We'll get you something else. How's so that? what do it? you want me to get a pen and paper? Uh, you can probably do exactly that. I'm going to put you on hold. The next voice you hear is going to be Dave, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Dave, will I take Rick here before we go to the break? Let's go to line number five. Say good morning to Rick Noseworth. He's the president of the Avalon Trailways Association, I think it's called. Uh, line number five, Rick, you're on the air. Thanks, Patty. Thanks for getting us on. Happy to do uh, it. I guess today I'm wearing my Newfoundland Trailways hat. Okay. And... Um, all good news. We just want to let the, the general public know, I guess, in the motoring uh, public, that uh, we're doing a lot of work on the rail bed in the next, uh, I guess, in the next week or so. We've had three construction sites, uh, one on the West Coast, one on the Central, and one here on the East Coast. So uh, extreme caution in, in those areas. And once again, it's, it's good news, but uh, we still you know, need to treat them like construction sites. Absolutely. You know, it's one thing to get the work uh, up and running, and it's never-ending task for you and the Avalon and or the Newfoundland Trailway Association. So patience is always going to be required when we're talking about these things. Just something very specific pops in my mind, Rick. Look, there's five forest fires at this moment in time being worked on. What do you say to the trail users who think, you know what, I know where the fire is, I know where my trail is, I think I'm going to be okay. How do you factor in the fact that the weather can be very volatile, as can the fires? So maybe, just maybe, some of your favorites that are in anywhere in close proximity to these fires, it's simply not worth it because you never know when all of a sudden you might be on a very perilous journey on one path or trail or another. What do you say? Well, 
common sense. Stay away from those areas. You know, they, they, certainly this time of year. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention to you is, like, when you're off on your ATV, you know, it's the law, but it's a good practice. Fire season, carry a fire extinguisher with you. Now, you know, you get into a forest fire, that fire extinguisher is not going to do much, but it might certainly prevent you from starting a forest fire. And, you know, stick to trails that you know. Uh, like I said, right now on the trailway, you know, we have some construction sites, but the trailway is a safe bit. You know, it's, it's good, safe, you know, lines right now. You know, there's no forest fires threatening that area as far as I know. So, you know, you, you need to follow the news. You, you need to, to watch and talk to the local people where the, where the risks are. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes we are, some folks will be really risk adverse, never going to take even the slightest chance, regardless if we're talking about under quad or anything else. Others, maybe not so much. And so you might think, well, the wind is blowing that direction, my trail's on that side. Next thing you know, you might find yourself not only with the potential to be surrounded by fire, but air quality and things start to factor in. It could lead to, I know that's a very specific question, and wasn't what you called about, but I'm just curious what you and other outdoor lovers uh, think about when you know that some of these fires are happening i mean to the extent where we had to close the highway but i guarantee you there were still atvs and side-by-sides and stuff very close to that fire doing what they do on the trails teddy it doesn't make sense i I don't understand that people need to you know weigh out the risk Uh, there's no need to be in those areas they're asking people to leave why would you even want to be near it like uh, you know we, we see this all the time with a lot of things you know, 98% to 99% of outdoors people are using good judgment. But, you know, like with anything, we get to one percenters that you just can't, you just don't know what they're going to do. You can't even predict, uh, you know, not to be sarcastic, but how do you predict an idiot? You know, we just don't know what some of these people are going to do. Yeah, I get it. And who knows what anyone's going to do at any given day, regardless of what we're talking about. Uh, last word goes to you, Rick, before I take a break. Well, be careful in these areas. Uh, the trail is uh, still officially closed out in the West Coast. When we get McDougal's done, it'll be open. Uh, three bridges being done in Central. Eelsbrook, Jumpers, and Rattling Brook uh, use extreme caution there. And our grading project has started here on the Avalon, going from uh, Woodford Station West. Uh, that's a nice project for us, and we're hoping that we're going to get some buy-in from the ATV community. We have a uh, uh, on our website or on our Facebook page, you can donate to that. And the more donations we get, the further west we can go. But right now, we're hoping to get from Woodford Station up near Briggis Junction. But then again, like I said, if we get some buy-in and donations, uh, the sky's the limit. So be careful in these areas and ride safe. And, you know, keep an eye on, on the weather. Uh, sometimes it might be this too hot to get out there and too risky. So be careful. Appreciate the time, Rick. Thank you. Thank you, Patty. Take good care. Bye-bye. Rick Nosworthy, we'll just say the Trailways Association. And, of course, given the really warm weather that we've experienced right throughout the month of July, most of the summer, I mean, June was absolutely beautiful as well. That'll bring forward some more concerns about the heat in the side-by-side, wearing the helmet and the like, and if you want to tackle that, you know what to do. When we come back, Nicole wants to talk about sanitation protocols she sees at the box stores. Michael wants to talk about wind energy. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go where? Line number two. Nicole, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi. Um, I called in today to talk about my incident at a box store last Thursday. 
Okay. Um, last Thursday, me and my children went to a box store to pick up some stuff, and um, at the self-checkouts, um, there's like a ledge or a, a leap or something, I don't even know what you'd call it, and there was, I don't know if a piece of it was broke or there was something on it or what, but when I was putting the groceries in, my leg ended up hitting this sharp piece and blood start gushing down my leg everywhere and um i asked one of the ladies there because there's all kinds of employees around can i have a tissue or a band-aid or anything you know to tie me over till i could see how bad it was and you know she gave me the tissue but nobody asked was i okay or anything and then when i was going through the door um i got stopped and my the blood was and through the tissue, through, like, down my leg on the floor. Can I see your receipt? So I stopped there doing that for a little bit, and then he said, okay, have a nice day. Um, and then with calling Walmart since last Thursday, I'm, you know, I never got, I'm sorry, I happened to see this happened to you, we'll check it out, you know, uh, or anything like that. It's like nobody got any compassion anymore in the world. I don't know. <laughs> so uh, there was something simply broken off, like a piece of molding or something around a ledge yeah. on a shelf and something sharp and you just cut your leg on it. That's what happened? Yeah, at the self-checkout. And, like, where they're so germy, like, hundreds of people are using them every day. Like, um... You know, I, you know, do you think they would have offered a Band-Aid or some saline or something to clean it out, right? Like, you know, accidents happen and, you know, but it's like she said that she, when I was talking to the manager, she can't really see that happening because an incident report would have been done right away. Um, there would have been different protocols. Yeah, well, there, it didn't happen, obviously. So a couple of very quick things is you would think number one question would be, what can I do to help? Number two would be, can you show me where this happened so we can make sure it doesn't happen to another customer? Right, you and know? that's why I was calling in because I said to them, if a little two- or three-year-old, that could have been their eye, right? You know how little kids are, you know, running around the cash while mommy's scanning everything? <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah, so you deserve a little bit more attention. And obviously, is for someone to realize where it was, what happened, so that they can snip it off or cut it off or sand it down or whatever, because I can't really picture exactly what it is you got yourself on. But those two things you would think would be the very first to consider by whatever, be the staffer, the manager, the supervisor, whoever is in-house. I'm sorry it happened to you, Nicole. Are you all right? Was it just something uh, small enough for a bandage? A cut, like a swole up really big, and like I am bruised like almost from my knee up to my hip. Like there's a big bruise over my leg, so I'm really uncomfortable. My The seat in my car is full of blood. I tried scrubbing it. I'm going to have to bring it in and get it cleaned out, but like I just wanted to bring awareness, like, and then to call in to let them know and be basically told, you know, I don't believe this happened at the store because protocols would have been taken differently. Yeah, well, if it's as bad as you describe, you should get it documented because just in case, for instance, if you 
have an infection because of whatever you might have picked up off of that, whatever it was, sliver of plastic or wood or metal. Yeah, I or have whatever. an appointment now, 11.30, and that's my thing is infection because, like, it's really painful and irritable. And yeah, they'll know. It's black and green and, like, every color. <laughs> Green's not a good color. Uh, so hopefully that's not the case, but it's important to get it documented. And then what I would do, regardless of it's serious, severe, infected or not, I'd bring that report directly to whatever store we're talking about and say you'd like to see that included in an incident report and can I also have a copy of the incident report stapled to this for my own records and see how they dodge or tiptoe around that one but let me know what happens Nicole I will thank you you're welcome take good care bye-bye all right bye-bye uh break time is it okay I appreciate the patience of those in the queue Michael in particular wants to talk about wind energy we'll get that one first right after this and let's see welcome back to the show let's go to line number three morning Michael you're on the air yes good morning Patty morning to you how are you doing how are you doing today doing well thanks how about you Good. Um, you mentioned earlier about wind power and the issue with uh, property where, where to install the wind power or whatever. Mm-hmm. We have a wide expanse of land going across the island where there's big electrical poles already in place. Why not use an extra 10, 15 feet off that and install the towers along that power line and then wire it into the, uh, the grid that way? But that's the question is... Do we even want that? And here's why I ask, because the wind projects are going to be different. If it's to power up, I'll just use the example of a mine, and whatever they don't use, they sell back to the grid. That's different than having set up shop in the Port of Stephenville through electrolysis production, hydrogen for export to the European Union. Because for my money, and like I asked the minister last week, I'm not so sure any wind projects that are going directly back into the grid are a good thing for me and you. The reason I say it is as much much as it's a deeply flawed business model, we are the only customers, by and large, for Muskrat Falls Power. So the more power that comes in, maybe the less we consume from Muskrat. Consequently, as dumb as it sounds, we'll end up paying even more from Muskrat mm. than we do without a contribution of wind into the grid. So it becomes a really seriously tricky piece of business for government to evaluate a wind project for a mine, a wind project for a sale into the grid, which I think should all be rejected in full, and or hydrogen processes or what. So I I think I get where you're coming from. Why not use the transmission lines that are already in play? But those transmission lines are just leading to my home and your home. Right. No, that's just something I thought of. So Yeah. And I heard one of the topics was about property and misuse of government grounds and everything else, right? I think that's an important one because, we, you know, you can't say win good, win bad because they're all different. But... Not every project is going to stand the test of time. So I like to think we're going to be very careful about how we approach Crown Land because, you know, the news story right in the first paragraph says opening up all Crown Land to proposals. So what happens if I buy it, I buy a piece, I put up a half-hearted wind project that comes to an untimely demise in five years, I own this piece of Crown Land now. As opposed right. to, I've got a lease for five years, right. and I can yeah. have the first right of refusal to renew it. Then we retain hold of the land, which I think is much wiser than simply selling it. Oh, yes, definitely, yes. Okay, no, that was just a point I wanted to bring up. I, I appreciate making time for the show, Michael. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, th- it, that is the most curious of all these things, is it's different for the creation of a tax base, job opportunities. If someone sets up shop with access to wind, access to water, deep water port, proximity to market for hydrogen. 
vastly different than an industrial or commercial entity putting up some turbines, power their operations, sell the excess like net metering back to the grid versus a standalone wind project that is solely for the purpose of consumption on the island or in Labrador. Now, in Labrador, it might be a good idea. Say, for instance, with the diesel plant that burnt down in Charlottetown. Now they're putting another diesel generation back in there. Probably a good idea to revisit that. Maybe smaller uh, turbine, combined cycle turbine with some wind to do away with the diesel. That's different than simply building along the Long Range Mountains or somewhere through Central and putting a wind farm directly on the transmission grid as it, or the electrical grid as it stands. We don't need more power. Right? I mean, I guess if we're ever going to decommission Hollywood, which is a conversation in and of itself, but more power might just end up me paying more for that bloody project on the Churchill River. Uh, let's go to line number four. Vic, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty, and you're listening to audience. Same Thank to you. Thank you for taking my call. No problem. I was, uh, my ta- actually, my uh, concern this morning is um, we, we have uh, oil still leaking in this oil well in the uh, Shore Point on the Port of Port Prince. Uh, I know the federal government is uh, their file, I understand. Uh, I think they attempted to fix that a few years ago, but I understand it's still leaking. And this oil well, of course, I think was put there in 1912. It's uh, under under the water, actually, so in the salt water, so it's a hazard to the. Yeah, there's issue. a pipe. There's a pipe leaking. There's something like 13 wells out of Shore Point. So I'm appealing to the MP in that area. That's a federal file, I understand. The other, the other concern was um, the roads on the Port of Port Prince are really deplorable. Uh, I was talking to a friend there a few days ago, and around the Prince, uh, around Cape St. George, Mainland, West Bay, all those areas, it's, it's really hazardous to drive the, the potholes, etc. So, so, so really, really dangerous. So the MHA for for that area, I appeal to him, uh, whoever the MHA is. I'm not quite sure for the for that area, but certainly it is a very deplorable. Well, on the provincial uh, level, I think it's probably uh, Tony Wakeham, the PC I member for Stephenville Port Report. On the federal level, I would imagine it's Long Range Long Range Mountains MP Goody Hutchings, but there therein lies some of the interesting rub. Who's responsible for this stuff? Remember when there was a boat leak in uh, oil? What was the name of that area? It was off Mistaken Point, I think. And so the big racket became, whose responsibility is it? It's one thing when it's out in the middle of the water, one thing when it hits the shore. Same thing when we're talking about uh, where the land meets salt water. Where is it? Because there's some pipes that come right from the land into the water that are part of the leaking problem. Is that provincial responsibility? What about the pipes that are out in underwater in Shoal Point? Is that federal responsibility? Because we've played this game many times where they point the responsibility back, backwards and forwards. Yes, but I, I understand that the federal government did fix the, or, or attempted to fix the oil on the Shoal Point. Uh, I know it's underwater, and uh, I, I've been there on a few occasions, so I guess many times when I was younger, but I've been there probably for finding five or six years ago. And, of course, it's underwater, and uh, I'm aware that the federal government did take responsibility at that time to fix it or attempted to fix it, but uh, the problem still arises. Another point, uh, I was interested, you had a gentleman on there, I think, last week. I think he had written a book regarding some ship pertaining, I think it was to the Franklin discovery, 
was some book I, I, I never I, so I, I was hoping to purchase the book but I don't have a if you could get a number for yeah, me yeah the name of the book um, well is, is of course the discovery of the Erebus and the Terror the two Franklin uh, ships lost in the search for the Northwest Passage what was the name of his book is his name Calvin uh, David I, 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 I know the name but in the back of my mind or <laughs> somewhere Am I going to be able to come up with it? I don't know. I can't remember the name. I'd hate to give it out and be completely wrong, but I can figure that out. I'm so uh, he's written a book, and it's been well-received and well-distributed uh, about the discovery of the Erebus and the Terror. And I'm going to have to get back to you, Vic, because I just can't pull it out of my poor old mind right at this uh, moment. Okay, I appreciate it, Patty. Yeah, no problem. Let's see if Thanks I can figure it out. Thanks for taking my call. Anytime. All the Have best. Have a nice day. Bye You now. too. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah, let me throw it into the Google bar here. See if I come up with it. Uh, man, what is the name of that book? Anybody listening remember that call? Uh, books about... Da, da, da. Yeah, and I'm sure there's nothing but books out there about this particular interesting discovery that was made, of course. And some of it, they were, you know really very very close to where the wreckage was eventually found but kind of tiptoeing in the wrong direction so i just put a google in about some of the best books on the lost franklin expedition and there is a ton of them but i'll see if i can't figure out the name of that locally written one it's not dan simmons anyway if you're a listener and can remember the call and the name of the book and or sir as the author if you're listening if you could just drop me a quick email or even give us a call back so that we can share your work with Vic and anyone else who's interested. We'll do exactly that. I'm just going to click this one last link. Uh, connection doesn't exist. Great. We're on Twitter. We're at VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. Yeah, the rare bird on Twitter says I was referring to the Manola cell. That's right. It was remediated by the federal government. But that was only after the rackets. We were fighting for a couple of years, bare minimum. Then they went down with some black bart and tried to plug up the leaks. Then they went down with a much more secure. And a contract, I believe, at that time, moment in time was led to a diving company from Florida, if I'm not mistaken, to deal with the leak. Coming from the Manola cell, that's absolutely, that's right, that was the name of the ship. And then there was a link being sent along by Anne, and she's talking about the Supreme Court of Canada decision that's pending. It's the lawyer publication ban. You know the story here. It's, there's a local lawyer who's been accused of sexual assault of a, I believe, a young person from some years back. And it's available to this particular lawyer, like it is the rest of us, if you have the resources, the time, the money, and the energy to fight for a publication ban in the courts. Generally, publication bans are associated with the youth and for folks who are alleging having been victimized and on the receiving end of a sexual assault. This one's different. So there's a ruling coming from the Supreme Court of Canada. I think that's due on the 4th of August, which, of course, is Thursday. That will be highly anticipated here in the province. How are we doing on the phone there, Dave? Let's take a break. When we come back, still another hour left in the program for you to populate it with your call on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Welcome back. Let's go. Uh, line number three, Tracy, you're on the air. Um, yes, I'm just calling about the them cutting the, the French immersion program in Marystown. Sure. Sacred um, Heart Academy, right. Yes, yeah. Um, 
I think it's going to be a great loss. Uh, my daughter is in the French immersion program, and she's excelling in it. Um, I'm not from that area. I did French immersion myself, um, and it has been a great asset in life. Um, in my career, I use it on a daily basis, my French. Um, I think the, the ones that are going to lose the most are the, the children. They've had combined classes before. They can easily do that again this year with the kindergarten program, even though there's a low enrollment, and keep the program going this year. You know, and they wouldn't have to look for a new teacher because they'd be in a combined class. So their their logic behind cutting it doesn't seem like it's, it's reasonable or makes much sense because there's alternatives. There's been many alternatives proposed to them, and it just seems like they're more unwilling to listen to them than they are to do something about it. The combined class makes a lot of sense to me because even if we're talking about it as a stopgap measure to cover off the student enrollment of only five students this year going into kindergarten who'd be interested in early French immersion, but if we're doing it in other grades and in the English stream, I'm not sure why that's being rejected from the district at this moment. Is it about whether or not they actually have a teacher for in place that can tackle that and whatever the class size might be? Like, I don't know, but it sounds like a very simple, so to speak, and very pragmatic suggestion coming from the parents down in the region. So I want to see if I can get some explanation from the district as to why not. Yeah, because it would be because they've been doing combined classes. My daughter was in a combined grade one, grade two last year, and she was in a combined grade two, grade three this year. Um, she's, She's doing great with it. There's no disadvantage to her by being in that combined class. She's still getting the the attention she needs and the learning she needs to to learn the material. Um, so if they would if they combine, like I said, the five students with the grade one class, they don't need another teacher because they should they already have a teacher that's going to be teaching the grade one. So yeah, there's no it's just it, it, their logic just doesn't seem like it's there. So you say that your child is thriving. What grade are they in at this moment? Or um, going she's to? Gonna be, she's going to be going into grade three. And so when you say thriving, what does that mean to you? Um, or excelling? She's enjoying the she's enjoying learning the second language. Um, she'll come home, you know, with descriptions of they did this. And, you know, sometimes she'll think of the, something to say, but she'll think of the word in French before she thinks of it in English. Um, but she's enjoyed her teachers. She's enjoyed the learning material. And she, for somebody who's it's a second language, she's doing very well with it when it comes to reading and writing and just and learning the material in general. Yeah, look, I I do think that the benefits are widespread. You know, it's one thing to be bilingual, which obviously can be a big leg up in this world, especially in a bilingual, officially a bilingual country, even though I'm really surprised there's so many debates about the merit of that this day and age. But learning a second language, uh, for folk, especially if you're a parent of someone entering pre-K and or kindergarten, and you haven't quite made up your mind, even though we're coming to the 11th hour, and you're an English person as a first language, you did a bit of high school French, maybe think you can't help your child the supports that come home are are pretty substantial and the benefits are extensive for learning a second language I mean I was worried about it when we came to the decision to put our children in early French immersion my worries were quickly dispelled given the fact my wife is French 
But some of the other families, friends of ours, and they did the same thing. Didn't know any French beyond Bibliothèque and Guy Lafleur. Their kids did okay, right? They they thrived and excelled, and they didn't fall behind in English. So there's a lot of upside to it. We really should see if we can get someone from the district to give us just a little better explanation as to why they're so quick to not accept a suggestion such as combined classes, even if it's just for one year or two or whatever it takes, so that children can indeed and their families, if they think it's a, an upside, to get them in there. Absolutely. And I do, I agree, a lot of parents get discouraged if they don't know French about putting their child in French immersion. It, it, it shouldn't be a discouraging factor. There's enough support out there um, to help families who, who don't have the French background. There's, there's support and there's networks out there um, for the child if, the, if they need help in something to, to get that help. Um, there's definitely so no parent should make it should feel like because they don't know French that it's not to put their child into French immersion. Um, there's help needed down the road. The supports are in place to be able to help them with that. And we're we're I think possibly kidding ourselves if we think that children for the most part now not every single child obviously but they pick it up so quickly. You know, it's really, truly remarkable to watch just how quickly the, the kids, all of a sudden it goes from a very small vocabulary in French to all of a sudden stringing together sentences and their ability to hear and react and respond. It just happens so quick that it's, it's a real marvel as far as I'm concerned. When I watched it, and I know that my children had an up, a leg up when they have a French mother, but it was just astounding to see how quickly they were able to latch on to it. And the youngest, Jack, continues on. He's still doing French courses in university. He went to university in French when he was uh, going to Laval in Quebec City. But, yeah, great stuff. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but it's a real shame, and we will do our follow-up. Uh, would you like to add anything else this morning, Tracy? No, that's everything. Appreciate the time. Perfect. Thank you very much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Yeah, I, look, I already had a few notes. and So be it. Your opinion, send it along is that uh, learning French is stupid. I don't know how, all of a sudden, learning something is stupid, especially when we're talking about another language. There are not only doors open with being bilingual in the country, but there is, don't take my word for it, just have a look around at some of the very comprehensive academic research about what it means and how your mind and your approach to learning changes, whether it be your memory, problem-solving skills, creativity. There's a bunch of stuff associated with learning a different and a second language. Let's go to line number one. Lisa, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks. How about you? Good. I'm good, thank you. Patty, I just wanted to talk about the, um, I know we have a nursing shortage in our health care, you know, problems across the island and I guess across the country for that matter. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's starting a little bit earlier than what people actually even realize. Uh, my daughter is a nursing student at the uh, Centre for Nursing in St. John's and she just uh, did her first year. However, she didn't complete it. She had one course um, that she failed. Uh, she, um, I think she, she was going in with a pass. She's got to have a 65 uh, to pass the courses within the, uh, the nursing program, which, you know, which is uh, acceptable for sure. And she was passing, I think, with maybe a mid-70, high-70 mark uh, when she wrote her final exam. And a part of the course that she did included labs. So she passed all her labs. She was passing the course when she went in. It was a part of her, her clinical experience within the nursing program. And uh, she failed her final. 
So, and you can only write a supplementary within a couple of marks within the uh, Centre of Nursing program. So she was a marker too, I think, below being able to write a supplementary. So um, we did everything. We, you know, we contacted uh, Memorial, we contacted the Centre of Nursing, we did everything to try and see, you know, what can we do to help her stay on track to go into her second year of nursing. And we found a course at... uh, Whoa. Hi, Lisa. I'm going to put her on hold, Dave. Is that the best play here now so we can reconnect? So obviously we've got a connection issue with Lisa. Maybe she's on a mobile phone. We'll try to pick that up when we return from this particular break. But of course, as usual, when we try to pepper the top of the show with some good news, and sometimes it does fall into the world of sports, and if you hear or you don't hear something that you think is a good piece of news to include, in the show, especially off the top. Uh, make sure you do exactly that. You can reach me in a variety of ways. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. And, of course, when we return, hopefully we can reconnect with Lisa and get a good connection and then plenty of time to speak with you about whatever you like. doesn't matter if you've heard a brooch on the program. If you want to bring it up, do exactly that right after this. And welcome back. Let's rejoin Lisa on one. Lisa, you're back on the air. Hi, Patty. Hopefully you can hear me. I apologize. No problem. We're camping, so reception sometimes is a bit uh, bit iffy. Where are you camping? So, uh, Francis Cove. You're out in a tent? No, God, no. We're glamping. I can't say we're camping. <laughs> there you go. Okay, let's let's re- return to where we were. I'm not 100% sure where the communication or the connection went poorly, so you start wherever you think you see fit. Okay, great. So um, what I was talking about was, you know, we're talking about the the nurses shortage in the province and, you know, the, the trouble we're having across the uh, the island and, and, of course, the, the country with regards to uh, medical services. Um, my daughter uh, just, well, she didn't fully complete her first year nursing at the Center of Nursing in St. John's because she failed one course. So with uh, with the Center of Nursing, of course, you have to have a 65 in every course in order to pass and go forward. So she passed all of her courses except for one. So going into her final exam, um, it was part of her clinical uh, course that it, it was. Uh, she had a you know a, a passing mark going into her clinical. She had passed all her her clinical requirements. It was just a final exam that she um, she failed by a few marks and didn't qualify to write a supplementary. So uh, we searched high and low, and we spoke to the center of nursing. We spoke to um, Memorial University, trying to you know find something. Um, they didn't offer the course during the summer, so there was there was no option for her in the province. So we found the university in New Brunswick um, that you know Memorial does um, accreditations for, and it was the you know the course was identical with the exception of the labs. So she had completed the labs and passed them, um, but it was just the final exam that she failed. So. Memorial wouldn't accept the fact that the course wasn't identical to the one that they offered, even though she had passed the labs and the rest of the material was identical. So now my daughter sits um, as a nursing student having to wait. So instead of going into her second year, she'll do that course again in the fall, in the winter, because that's when it's offered. So that puts her a year behind. So instead of going into her second year nursing, now she's just kind of stagnant until she gets this course done 
in January. And I know of, of a number of uh, other uh, nursing students that have gone through the same thing. And I really think it's time that uh, Memorial and the Center of Nursing start reevaluating, you know, since we have such a shortage of nurses and, and, and nurses that are overworked, um, I think it's time that they start looking at other options to uh, move our nursing students through the system because, you know, they're, they're doing them an injustice. So now our daughter has to do, you know, she, she's going to be a whole year before she can start her second year. So, you know, that's one less nurse that will have go out in three years' time. She won't go out until four years' time. What, do you, what exactly do you mean by consider some reevaluation? What does that mean? Well, you know, they don't offer any, any courses during the summer. They don't, okay. you know, other universities in other provinces offer uh, different courses. And I'm sure, you know, if the Center of Nursing and Memorial were to look at what courses seem to be common in terms of what, you know, the students are having dif- difficulty with, um, you know, that there, there'd be some summer options for them. Or if they were to take into account, yes, okay, she passed all our labs, she did this, she did that. Um, so, yeah, we will take in these other courses from the other university, which are identical to ours, with the exception of the labs, because she's already passed them. So now she sits, she'll sit for another year and not be able to start her second year. You know, and, and I know there's a lot more students that have been in that, that situation because she has many friends, you know, that uh, are going through the same thing. So, like, in other courses that, um, you know, uh, whether it be Marine or wherever it would be, um, you know, if you fail a course, you still go on to your second year. You just got to make sure you get that course made up before it's a prerequisite for something else. Well, absolutely. And, you know, we do it in in the K-12 system when I'm not spo- so much in the early grades. But I can go to summer school. I remember one summer, yeah. <laughs> someone that I know, me, I, I had to go to summer school to upgrade my math mark. Not that I failed, but it wasn't good enough, apparently. So yeah. I went in and did it. I mean, if we are talking about preparation for just moving on to post-secondary, that's one thing. But inside the churn, especially in the world of healthcare professionals, every year delayed is another person that has to wait a year to enter the profession formally so i don't know exactly what can be done and whether or not they have the capacity and the human resources to offer the courses during the summer but even if during the fall semester if you had to take an extra heavy course load and i know exemptions are granted for that so that you can make sure that before you have to enter year three and not have all your course worked on and your lab worked on at least give people a fighting chance to catch up Exactly. You know, and, and I won't say like, you know, the, uh, the health authorities take on first year nursing students as PCAs for the summer. And generally they do that. And then after the second year, I think they can go to LPN and, and different things like that. And, and, you know, they work during summer months. So my daughter didn't complete her first year uh, because of that one course by a few marks. Um, but she's still hired on by the health authority to do the job the same as someone who did that. Right, and now that you've brought up uh, different disciplines, it's always important for me to remind those working as nurse practitioners or licensed practical nurses or anyone that's part of the healthcare delivery model, we get you, we see you, we understand it. So psychologists and social workers and pharmacists and, yes, doctors and their staff and other hospital staff, uh, I just want to always be mindful of the fact that it's not just one discipline that makes the world go around. It's not no, just satisfying one discipline not. is going to cure the issues no. here in the province because it's all of them, especially if we're now considering one of the solutions to be the establishment to more and more collaborative care clinics, then you can't collaborate unless you have different disciplines. So we 
just want to remind folks who are working in one of those areas, we know, we hear you. We know that your issues are real and belong on the same uh, edge of the front burner as registered nurses and or GPs or MDs. So I just wanted to get that out there because I always face just a few swats when we don't include all. Absolutely, absolutely. Good to have you on the show, Lisa. Enjoy the rest of your glamping. <laughs> Thank you. Take, Take care. care, Patty. All righty, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, look, there's... There's going to be instances where government might not have the full capacity to help fill all the gaps, you know, to address every single shortcoming because of one student, 10 students or a dozen have fallen behind when they miss some coursework. They could have been sick. They could have been anything. They could have failed one. But when they come back and still remain determined to satisfy the course loads and all the requirements of the diploma or the degree, can we, especially recognizing some of the issues, specifically, I think, inside of uh, uh, healthcare? Now, someone's going to very quickly add to it. Same thing for teachers. Okay, I get that. But in other disciplines with co-op programs, what have you, they seem to be a little bit more flexible in ensuring that if you want and you're ready and you've proven that you're up to the test, because you can indeed fail the course and end up being a terrific registered nurse, where are the different areas that can be addressed? For instance, in the most recent budget, there were some additional 25% of seats being put in the nursing school at Memorial University. If that 25% became 24% because there was a few nursing students and candidates that needed some additional uh, coursework done the following year without having to miss an entire year, could there be some flexibility associated with that? I know that requires the different levels of bureaucracy and case-by-case analysis, but ultimately, if we keep more and more of the candidates, the students on track, then that's ultimately going to be beneficial to the system. It's going to be beneficial to the nurses, LPNs, and nurse practitioners who are already in the system, moving from full-time, permanent, to casual, just trying to strike that little bit of realistic life and work balance that is so elusive for many of us, especially when you're in a system that, you know, don't have to take my word for it. You can ask many in in the system itself about. It's been difficult, and maybe even more so in the last few years. It seems to me, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that we've learned an awful lot about the healthcare system, all the way through family doctor clinics into hospitals and emergency rooms, long-term care, acute care. We've learned an awful lot of really tough lessons in the recent past, and we can indeed applaud the fact that Canada has universal health care because we don't call it free because there is nothing free. But now we're figuring out where the shortcomings are, where the gaps are, where the blind spots are. And you're not, no one's going to be able to flip a switch. No province, no premier is going to be able to, minister of health is going to be able to flip a switch, and all of a sudden, things are dealt with. Now, between now and the beginning of the show tomorrow, I'll have a careful look at what the province is doing, the most recent announcement regarding uh, the nursing issue, vacancies and otherwise. And it looks like they're trying to do something, which is encouraging. But you're never going to flip a switch, and it's all fine. Everything's solved. Everything's settled. We're back in. Whereas, you know, no one has to worry anymore. That's not going to happen. But it has not been money as the be-all and end-all. If it was, we'd have no problems in this province. I mean, we spend about a third of the budget on health care. Spending increases year over year. I know that numbers can be, not well, yes, manipulated. 
more doctors and nurses than ever before, but not every doctor has a full patient roster. Not every doctor is uh, obliging any hospital privileges or what have you. They might be doing some coursework as an instructor. They may indeed be doing independent research. They can be doing all kinds of things as opposed to what people think by and large when they see a white coat and they hear, hear the words MD, medical doctor, is that they're all seeing patients or performing surgeries. Not necessarily. So, anyway, I uh, appreciate uh, Dr. Scully. There you go, the doctor in the queue. Dr. Scully wants to talk about the benefit of learning multiple languages. We'll hear from Dr. Francis Scully after the break, and then we'll be speaking with you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number two, Dr. Francis Scully, you are on the air. Oh, good morning. Hello, Patty. How are you? I'm very well this morning. Thank you. How about you? Good, good, good. Thanks. Yes. Um, so I was calling in response to the discussions about uh, learning a second language or learning different languages and encouraging lang language um, diversity. Go right ahead. Yeah, I was just going to um, agree with you that... Uh, uh, well, the, the research shows that um, learning for fun, learning for um, because we want to learn something, is incredibly beneficial for our health and well-being, any kind of learning. But particularly anything different and new is hugely good, uh, not only for our brains, but because our... our um, you know, because everything in our bodies are interconnected. Learning something new um, is is absolutely wonderful for us. Although learning, when we feel very stressed and, um, you know, we've got to pass something because, uh, yeah, when we're under stress, that that's not, not that's probably not beneficial. But, uh, but learning for fun is absolutely It can wonderful. be. I mean, if you're learning because you need to satisfy the course load for your degree, it comes with a different type of pressure. If you're learning out of curiosity's sake, which a lot of people do when they go through their university career, so you may indeed have uh, declared a major, but some of the things that you take as your electives could be simply for the curiosity's sake. Consequently, they become courses that are a little bit more manageable for you. Maybe not because you know more about them, but simply because you don't feel that inherent pressure of satisfying your major. So, look, and again, it doesn't matter if we're talking about languages or anything else. When you take those additional types of courses out of curiosity or just personal interest, even if you talk about something as fundamental as your brain function, I'm not a doctor, but I read enough about it that I can just offer my own thoughts. The more you use your brain to learn new skills, the better your brain function becomes. It improves your memory for starters, and for someone like me sitting in this chair, it does improve your ability to multitask. These are all things that are not because I say so, because scientists that have studied it for decades, they say so. So these are all things that are very, very real. Even if, say, for instance, your child outside of school in the world of their extracurricular is learning something else, whether that be they're taking a first aid course or they are, yes, maybe working on Spanish or they're doing whatever, they're learning how to knit, whatever it is, those things do expand your brain function. There's no downside to it, zero. Yeah, and I want to put in a shout in here for the uh, Association Francophone de St. John's. So um, that's a very uh, community-minded association, 
and membership is very reasonable as an individual or as a family and it's a very friendly group everything is in french but they do try to accommodate um so so it's just another resource if somebody was thinking of putting their child into um french immersion and they're nervous because they don't uh, speak french themselves um the association has a lot of different activities and they've great activities for those of us who are older they have great things and it includes knitting and i can't knit but anyway i've been trying to get to the knitting class but uh yeah so so i just wanted to put a shout in for that uh, association and also to mention that now there's google translate now again that's controversial i just uh had my website uh translated into different languages by google translate and it takes a month for me to get enough people who speak different languages to read it and see whether it's okay or not um but um so there's a lot of different tools if somebody wants to play with learning an, another another language and and of course you know there are times when we have to knuckle down learn something to pass of course absolutely you know so oh sure I, well it's I, standard you know yeah the the so. the conversation around learning a second or third language when you're young i've always referred to the fact that young people are just such sponges and you know even the parents of english kids who go to early french immersion to a man to a woman they're always really surprised with just how quick their child picks up on it are there different things that you need to consider as an adult when you're going to for instance at my age now my french is whatever my takeaway is from hearing french in my home but most of it i think comes from my high school french which is 30 odd years ago at this moment of time do you take a different approach to it as an adult going back to begin to learn a second language or should we just not build in these hurdles or perceived obstacles when you're considering you know something for fun or to make some friends or to just expand your vocabulary with another language what do you think i well so so my heritage is uh, from ireland so um and i would recommend i just love there's a movie or a documentary called in the name of the father and it's made by an amazing irish comic des bishop and uh, so des was of irish heritage grew up in new york and came to ireland when he was 14 so so the point is that the irish language is being revived uh really well um i don't know over 150 years ago when people were learning irish language and music and dance and culture and stories and they were doing it because of a love of learning all these things then um you know when official bilingualism came in um and then when speaking irish got attached to whether or not you could get a good job in the civil service or you know all sorts of other financial things came in you know a lot of commercialization then people got very irritated and very stressed you know when i was going through school you had to pass irish to pass the leaving cert and it is a very different and difficult language so a lot of people were stressed about it so there's some sort of a blend um i was very um interested in the lady who was talking about helping her daughter with the nursing school so i think that that's the point you know we should always be um learning 
we have to veer towards the collaborative rather than the elitist and the competitive in absolutely every aspect of our lives. When we're doing things because we want to get along with other people, we want to do things well, but we don't, you know, there are many, you know, we don't need to do things 100%. We don't need to be perfect. And that's, we, we fall down when we want to get to 100%. Um, well, we do need to be, you know, particularly in healthcare, we have to be safe. People have to be safe. They have to know what they're doing. But that, that's the point. We have to go with collaboration, with wanting to do things well. But we, don't, but we need to move away from elitism and ultra-competitiveness and everything. Are you manageable, uh, fluent in Irish? I'm not fluent at all in Irish. And the thing <laughs> is, with a lot of languages... No, but the thing is, the reality is that actually everybody speaks dialects. So one of the problems with Irish is the Irish I learned in school is not actually spoken anywhere because there are, there are four different dialects in Ireland and they sound quite different. So I would say to people who want to learn language as adults, you, you should be learning it because of something you love. That's what I was saying about the Francophone Association. Understood. You can do any, anything you like there. You know, and in the choir I'm in there, most people in the choir are primarily English speaking, but we like, but, I, but, I, but for example, I was trying to get people to come to the concert and um, a lot of people would not come because it was in French. Now, now, I think we need to have more bilingual concerts because of different languages. Anyway, so, so, so it's, it's a big issue. I want to talk a little bit about learning Irish. That sounds good to me. I mean, there is, uh, of course, not only the different dialects, but those goidelic languages, whether it be a Scots Gale or the Manx or what have you, they are, they're difficult not only to speak, but they're difficult to listen to, to hear. And I don't mean insofar as being off-putting. It's just so you have to have such a keen ear. Oh, I don't know about that. But the the okay. Scots Gaelic and Irish actually are very similar. There's so a lot big overlap there. Yeah, I know people who can speak those. Yeah, well, I mean, I cannot, I could understand. There's a lot of overlap in the words between. So the Gaelic, the, the Gaelga and the Scots Gaelic are very, very similar. Welsh now is a totally, you know, I cannot um, make out any Welsh or, and I haven't even heard Manx, you know. But, uh, um, uh, yeah, so, so, so I would say um, there are other advantages to beginning to learn another language. So, for example, I have twice benefited from the great generosity of the Halibu Band, and I've taken their um, first-level MIMA twice now, and I'm very guilty because I got sick there just around the time I was supposed to do my exam to go to level two, and I haven't made up enough time to improve my MIMA and do my test to move on to level two for MIMA. However, my point is I was doing that because I heard repeatedly that um, indigenous peoples had a great understanding of the environment and we really need to improve our ecological literacy. And what I found is it's true, you know, even from learning basic MIMA, I could understand that uh, these people have just incredible knowledge about the natural world and the environment. The other thing that's so fascinating is, of course, um, I would say to anybody francophone, it's much easier for you to learn MIMA because a lot of the first contacts uh, in this part of the world, in Atlantic Canada and in Canada, was between French and the indigenous peoples. So, for example, the word in MIMA for a, uh, an apple is a French cranberry. <laughs> so, 
And in fact, Mima is the French word for Inuk, which is uh, an indigenous person. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so by learning a little bit of Mima, I'm learning all sorts of other information. So there's, there's all sorts of other information we learn through, la- through languages. Oh, well, of course, there's a cultural issue associated with learning any language, for sure. Uh, nice to have you on the program this morning, uh, Dr. Scully. Thank you. Well, thank you. You have a great day. Thanks very much. Thanks. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, just because you can speak... Uh, actually, in, in Scots Gaelic, I think one of the dialects is Canadian. I think that's actually a reference in Scots Gaelic. I'll have to look that up now. I could be completely out of my mind here. But just because you can speak that doesn't mean you can speak to someone who speaks Galwegian. Let's take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Well, coming up this Friday night, there's going to be a fine collection of mutants down along Kitty Bitty Lake at the Pleasantville Legion with the Brother Royce reunion. Join us on line number one is one of the organizers, Stan Cook. Hi, Stan. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. That's probably a very apt description of the crowd that's coming. (laughs) (laughs) I could not resist. I know. So listen, this is probably one of our last pushes uh, to let people know. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of folks in for the regatta and home for vacation, and they're listening to you now, so they might not have heard that you can buy your ticket on the the Facebook site for the the, uh, Diamond Jubilee reunion, or go to, as I mentioned before to you as well, to the eventbrite.ca site where you can actually purchase your ticket. So it's going to be this Friday down the Legion, on the on the right side of the uh, of the pond, and we got uh, a little bit of music lined up, and I and as I mentioned before, King Photography has agreed to come down and set up a photo booth, so you can uh, some of the crowd that's went to high school there can get pictures with their old buddies, their old hockey team, or their old chess club, or with some of the principals that are coming, and I think there might even be an opportunity, Patty, for you to practice your high school French, because I think your uh, high school French teacher is showing up, so you might be able to get that on the go as well. So my high school French teacher would be Dougie Fowler, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mr. Fowler, of course, a uh, long time with uh, Sport NL and with the boxing community as well as being a French teacher at Brother Rice. He coached yeah. the boxing team at Rice as well. Oh, yeah. He, he was a huge builder in that, in that sport. Yeah, he actually so encouraged me to get in the ring and throw a few. Not with him, but because I didn't <laughs> mind doing it. On the ice. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, so listen, I appreciate this. Any chance you get, Patty, uh, push it to anyone you see. I don't know if you're going to be down at the races tomorrow or whatever. When you see some of the old fellows from uh, the alumni, just p- pass on to them because the more people, the merrier. We've got hundreds already saying they're showing up, so it should be a good good crowd of fellows and, and girls down there who went to high school. Sounds good. How are sales going? Because this is all-encompassing. This is anyone that ever graduated from Brother Rice. 100%, man. So it's all from the first year. So this is the 60th anniversary. Rice opened in 62. Uh, so we're the Diamond Jubilee. So th- it's, it's a really interesting crowd coming because my father's one of the first years of graduating class. He and a few of his contemporaries are going. And all the way up to some of the folks that uh, were there in 99, when, uh, 98, 99, when it was the last year of a high school. So there's been a wide variety of people that have reached out and mentioned they're going and have bought tickets. So it'll be a really kind of a cool group of people. I mean, some of the crowd, I'm sure we literally haven't seen since we graduated so it'll be a really interesting bunch uh, everyone seems kind of excited about it I, I guess it's maybe because of COVID and we've been away from each other for a while but everyone seems to be really hyped about seeing their old their old alumni yeah and I have not yet pulled the uh, trigger on getting a ticket I suppose I should do exactly that it's not like I'm expecting to be invited on the free <laughs> but uh, no I will do that and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the boys as well of course why wouldn't yeah. you be uh, for better or worse still some <laughs> of the best right. stories and the best time alive 
Listen, man, it's always great to go back and laugh like you did in high school with your buddies, so you can't beat that. Yeah, you pick up where you left off, and for some of the boys, it was the best seven years of their life. <laughs> yeah, that's lucky to get out in seven, so you're absolutely right. <laughs> Thanks for this, Dan. Good luck with it. All right, my man. Cheers. Yeah. We'll see you Friday. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye. The Brother Rice reunion coming up Friday. I believe there was just recently a Gonzaga reunion this past week, if I'm not mistaken. My brother Michael mentioned it to me. And curious stuff, right? I went to Rice. Michael went to Gonzaga. I suppose I should leave the rest of the family out as to where they went to high school. Nobody needs to know. Nobody actually cares. All right, final check of the morning on the Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You know what to do. Follow us there. Email address if you'd like to provide some commentary on what you heard today and or to uh, suggest some things for tomorrow. You can do exactly that. There was one fellow said, are we lowering the bar for the nursing grads because they didn't know enough of the material to qualify for a pass and consequently a degree? The conversation was more along the line of what can we do to put mechanisms in place where you don't lose an additional full year, an opportunity to play some catch up, even if it's looking for an exemption for additional course load. That's all. Not that we're saying, okay, you only need to know half it to be a nurse as long as you know how to open up the pack of Band-Aids you're in. No one said that. All right, uh, good show today. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program, and we will indeed pick up this conversation tomorrow morning because we have a show on Regatta Day here, so tell all your friends, tell the whole bunch. And we'll pick up this conversation tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.